I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Mari. They have spina bifida. Let's talk about it. We are here, and we're here with our new friend Mari. Um, and uh, I say this, I say this all the time. I'm really excited to get into the conversation, but I, but I again, I, I mean it every single time. And I'm, I'm excited like, this, this time, time. I mean it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, this time I'm for real. Uh, but I, I am excited to to talk to you, Mari, because I. Uh, you know, we, so we've been doing this podcast now for uh, coming up on five years, and we've spoken to hundreds of people, but I don't think we've covered um, spina bifida yet. So this is this is going to be new for us, and um, uh, I, I guess I guess what I'll start with is is the way we we came across um, you and your story is through a uh, a docu series that was put together by AMI. And uh, the, the series is called Employable Me. Um, and it basically uh, tells the story of, of different people living with uh, different disabilities and their, their journey in trying to find employment um, and the, the, the various struggles that people who live with disabilities can come up against in, in the workforce. Um, and we, we just finished watching that episode today. And as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, wow, I... I actually don't know anything about spina bifida. If someone had asked me what I thought that that uh, disability was, there's not a whole lot that I could that I could say in terms of like awareness. And so I guess this is now where you're coming in to to drop some knowledge on us on what what the fuck is spina bifida. Well, <laughs> well actually I was going to say we actually don't need Mari on the show today because my cousin had spina bifida and so I can just speak freely about it. Yeah, it cool. No problem. Thank you Thanks so much coming, Mari. Mari. This is really great. Um, I uh, hope you all enjoyed this episode. My name is Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but actually the funny thing I want to say about that is my cousin um really does have spina bifida and I actually have never asked asked him any questions about it. Because uh, I think the last time we chatted, I was still really uncomfortable about that. So I'm really excited to ask you so then I can just like overlay your experience with with his and just now all of a sudden understand his experience as well. <laughs> Without even asking him, because I'm sure it's, it's the exact same. Yeah. I know. I just know. I know now. Uh, Mari, what, in your definition, what is spina bifida? Um, so, I mean, like spina bifida... There's like different types, so I can't speak to all different types. Like I know there's like spina bifida occulta and uh, like meningocele. Uh, I specifically have a type called lipomyeloma meningocele, which means I was born with this like, yeah, it's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. Wait, say, say it one more time. Lipo my- lipomyelomeningocele. Lipomyelomeningocele. Yeah. And that's all one word. Uh, and I 
only learned it uh, relatively recently because most of the time the doctors would say it and I would just be like, okay. Sure. Sure. Right, <laughs> that, yeah. that one. Did you have like an acronym or anything that you would use? I, I, like, can you have an acronym when it's just one word? <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's I call just, it L. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, we just basically just called it spina bifida. We were just like, we, we don't need Fair. to get into the <laughs> yeah. specifics. Sure, uh, sure, sure. But my specific type uh, just means I was born with like this fatty sack on my spine. Uh, and there was like a cyst inside. And like because of that cyst in that sack, uh, my nerves didn't go to all the right places. So I have oh. partial paralysis. Uh, for me, it's from the waist down because mine is uh, on my lower back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have mobility as you saw in the episode probably. Um, but yeah, I do experience like partial paralysis. I have numbness in some parts of my legs. I experience like incontinence, uh, stuff like that. It's, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, I'm assuming from, I'm assuming obviously it's not as, as simple as, as removing, removing that cyst. I'm, I'm assuming what's happened is that the cyst, the, the, the presence of the cyst made the nerves not develop there. So it's not like, it's not like if you take the cyst away, then, then the development happens. I'm assuming that sounds way too, it's like, why do, why don't you just going, get oh my God, we haven't never thought of that. <laughs> nah, yeah. It's, it's something about how like the spinal column is formed. Like it's formed with an opening. Uh, so right now I don't actually have that cyst, but mm-hmm. I still have, um, you know, all of the, the symptoms and experiences. Right. right. Is there is there like a um, a sort of spectrum or scale of 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 severity of spina bifida and and if so like where do you where would you where would you say you fit on that scale? Um, there definitely is a, like a really broad spectrum. Um, you know, I I always considered myself like a moderate case because I do have. Uh, most of my mobility, uh, throughout my childhood, it didn't affect me too much in terms of being able to get around, get to my classes, uh, like do activities with my friends. It would just be things like phys ed or whatever that would, where it'd be problematic. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, like some people experience, uh, like full paralysis and some people, uh, don't it all depends on like the placement on your spine, what kind of uh, spina bifida you have. Like I know mine is technically considered, <clears throat> excuse me, is technically considered more severe uh, because it is like that opening and that cyst and like a whole bunch of factors. Whereas mm. um, I think for like spina bifida occulta, it's it's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm, I actually have, I pulled up a, an image here from the, the CDC's website and it's, it's showing like types of spina bifida and it has three different images. One is spina bifida occulta. The other one is meninge, uh, meningococcal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the other one is myelomeningococcal. Yeah. Um, and all three of them are actually, they all, they all, all three of them look quite different in terms of the diagrams that they've, that they've kind of laid out there. Um, I, so you were, this is something that you are, is it genetic? Like, how does that, how does that work? Are you, are you, you're born with it obviously, right? Um, is it, is it hereditary? Like, did, did you, did you get this from mom or, or is this just something that happened in your utero? Uh, they're still doing a lot of like research on that. It's not like totally sure. Um, 
One theory is that it has to do with the amount of like folic acid uh, that the the like parent has during uh, the initial stages of pregnancy. Uh, what the fuck is folic acid? Yeah, <laughs> it's Dude, um, let's ask Google <laughs> or or Or, or, Mari. or, or Mari. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is it's something that they tell you to take as soon as you become sexually active. Um, Vitamin which B. Is, oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Um, in uh, in the off chance that you get pregnant, um, it's just supposed to like reduce the chances of your child also having spina bifida. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, like it's, but um, I know that they were doing research into whether or not it was genetic, uh, but. I, I haven't seen any of the results from that. So okay, okay. So so you were obviously you were born with it. Um, at like was this something that your parents were like when you when you were born? Was it kind of immediate that they that they found out? Like how how early did they detect spina bifida within within your body? Um, I don't know about. When, uh, my mother's pregnancy all that much um i honestly did not ask that many questions uh pregnancy really terrifies me as a concept so Same. i just yeah. avoided it at yeah. all costs yeah the, the first horror James movie the first horror movie i ever watched um uh i was i was like i was like six maybe and I had a babysitter. His name was Michael Kogan. I don't mind naming him on the podcast. Maybe I shouldn't do that, but whatever. <laughs> I, and, and Michael, no, no hard feelings. If you're out there, I actually love you for this. But at the time, I didn't. But Michael Kogan uh, f- forced me to watch Alien. And I think two things happened from that, that moment. Uh, three things. I was, I was fucking terrified as a, as a six-year-old boy. Um, but I also, I, I, I think it, 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 it was one of the reasons why I developed such a deep, deep passion and love for horror film l- much later on in life. But I think he planted the seed unbeknownstly, uh, unbeknownst to him. But then the, the third thing is I think it really fucked me up in terms of like dealing with and thinking about pregnancy because of the thought of an, of <laughs> a, a, a fucking, yeah, the dude, the <laughs> chest bursting scene. It's like, there's a thing inside it probably uh, also has to do inside of a thing your sexual obsession with Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> there's there's that as well. Yeah, Jared, I want to I want to uh, I want to say add a side note here. You should definitely. You guys know my favorite podcast is Reply All. Yeah. Um. Uh. One of the hosts, PJ. He's he's um. He's so terrified of watching horror movies. Like, just can't. He he loves the idea of watching them, but he just can't watch them. So they started a second spinoff podcast where it's this whole like journey of him easing his way into watching the scariest movie ever. Oh, and wow. Each time they have uh, a guest host who comes on and they break down this like one specific horror movie. And it's, it's oh, that really, sounds, really, really good. That sounds You'll, phenomenal. Love it. Yeah. Hey, I'm I definitely have a, into that. Uh, a quick side note uh, on reply all. <laughs> this I, is just tangent central. I, Here we go. I had an idea the other day that would be really great that I popped into my head and I thought this would be, even though I've, I've listened to Reply All like four times upon your suggestion, Brian, of certain episodes, but I had this idea and I went <clears throat> in my head and I went, oh my God, that would be a, a wonderful Reply All episode. Digging into the background of the person who does the, um, the, number, you ha- the, the number you have reached is like not in it's service not or the, or the uh, <laughs> it was actually the voicemail 
voice. Isn't that because just I a heard robot, it on though? an episode of Dirty Money. No, it does. I don't think it's a robot. I think it's a oh. real person's voice. And I heard it and I went, oh my God, that's the same down in Texas as it is in Halifax. And I was like, whose Whoa, voice is that? Who, yeah, it's funny because they did, they did an episode that was so, this guy's sorry for this really long tangent, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. this is a sick boy podcast. So um, they did an episode on um, hold music. And like the origin right. of like the like one right. of the original and like most common hold hold songs, and again, Awful. just one of my favorite Awful. pieces of of uh, of podcast uh, journalism and reporting that's out there. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull an OG Brian move here and rein it back in, it uh, in. back that's to Mari and Sorry, her Mari. experience <laughs> with Spina Bifida, or their experience with Spina Bifida. Sorry, um, I so so at what point? Um, but, you know, obviously we, 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 we've talked about how you're, you, you aren't so sure about, um, about your experience from, from your mother's point of view of you coming into the world. I guess, I guess the better question would be when, when did you become aware of your own spina bifida? I mean, I was always aware of it. It was definitely something, um, that I know when I was like born, um, I was born at like Scarborough General, but then I was like whisked off in an ambulance to SickKids, uh, where I was then like monitored for a while. And then I think at like 10 months, I had surgery on uh, that cyst sack thing. Right. Um, and so I've always sort of known about my spina bifida, but I didn't really know it was like a thing or like a different thing than other people were experiencing until I got into maybe elementary school. And I realized that like other people didn't have like nurses take them to the bathroom or like, you know, like little things like that. Um, It was just like once I was around other people um, who didn't grow up with it, I was just like, oh, wait, this is different. Right, mm-hmm. right. So, so in so in elementary school, did you you had like a a caretaker with you at all times, or it was just uh, she would just I had this like one nurse who would come in at specific times uh, to take me to the bathroom. Oh, interesting. Uh, I deal with incontinence, and so I actually like catheterize. Oh, whoa. Uh, so, and so and have you your whole life? Yeah, I actually learned to self-catheterize when I was six so I could do it at school uh, without having the nurse have to do it for me. So, like, she would just, like, make sure I would go at the right times um, because, like, going at recess really sucked because it was a longer process. Takes forever. I had to go to, to, like, a specific bathroom and get, like, a key and, Mm. like... Let and by that, me. yeah, and by that time, all the all the like four square ball teams have been picked, and you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, four you know? square. <laughs> Remember oh four square? God. I know. Yeah, I'll be right back. Uh, I, I was mostly the inside. kid that like read books against the wall uh, <laughs> right, right, against right. my school, but, <laughs> but all the spots crazy. on the wall were taken. You know, it's pretty crazy how I mean, it's you know, you're you're not alone by any stretch of the imagination in that in that sentiment of you go to school and it's not until you really go to school that you realize, Hey, I, 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 there's something about me that the, that, that the average kid isn't dealing with and that I do things differently and just fascinating. And I've been having these thoughts lately because I have two nephews and, and one of them's in just finished grade one and the other one's going, starting, starting uh, primary this year. 
and and realizing and thinking like, <laughs> wow, your world is about to like the you, the way you think about the world is about to expand in such a crazy way that you're going to go from spending like, your world is basically your house, and anytime you leave your house, it's it's crazy, and you're about to go to school every day and meet all these people that are your and and. And how that is going to change the way that you feel on a day to day basis is monumental. Right. It's and, because like, you, well, you have, you don't have any reference for how the world is different outside of your own experience. So like when 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 you go to school, it's like, holy shit! Like there's so many other people who have different experiences than me. And then all of a sudden, like only at that point, you start to like look at these other people and go, mm-hmm. whoa, okay. Um, not everybody experiences the world the same way that I do. And I'm and sure that you don't that have that realization yeah, exactly. when you're five years old. But like, <laughs> exactly. You start to have that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Couple that with, with just pure confusion on every level. Dude, I, I experienced that like tenfold because I had a twin brother. So like I had an identical twin brother and I'm looking at somebody else who's my age and my only reference for how somebody else my age sees the world is through the eyes of my identical twin brother. So I'm like, man, this guy even looks like me. How could how could anybody's experience be different than ours? <laughs> yeah, it's all got to be the exact same. Then all of a sudden, I just start meeting new people. I'm like, oh shit, okay, this is different. So did you? So Mari, did you find that tough? Like, was there what what was it? Was there a was there a distinct? This is challenging, or was it? Or from the lens of this is something you're born with. You have this realization. Maybe not everybody has the same, uh, the same experience as I do, but you know, I've had it since I was born. Is there a sort of normalcy to it where it's, is it challenging or is it not very challenging? Cause it's, it's your, it's what you've always had. It's what you've always been dealing with. Um, I mean, like it's a bit of both. I mean, entering school, I definitely struggled with trying to fit in with people, um, and trying to seem very normal. Uh, my parents, didn't grow up around a lot of disability. So they didn't know all their experiences with disability has been negative teasing, you know, Mm. the way kids are. Sure. And so they definitely wanted to protect me a lot. And so they tried to, uh, they taught me how to like hide it, uh, especially because like I had, mobility. I didn't need to use braces or, or at the time I didn't need to use mobility aids, uh, or anything like that. So, um, it was something that I was taught to like, keep a secret, um, and only tell people who really needed to know, uh, and only when they needed to know. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely a struggle in that sense. Um, but now that I'm like an adult and I'm older, uh, I can definitely say that, like, I there is, like, a normalcy to it now. Uh, now that we've been in, like, lockdown for a few months and I haven't mm. had to, like, compare myself to other people, um, I don't really think about my spina bifida all that often. It's not actually something um, that I, like, think about on a daily basis, even though I do use catheters every day right. and you know like i have to worry about things like medical supplies and and things like that but they're really just like part of my routine just like doing mm. the dishes or yeah. you know anything the, else is part of my yeah routine. i mean that that's like you know as someone who lives with cystic fibrosis at, at any time i i've noticed this thing where anytime someone for the first I apologize, time apologize that's 
Oh, that no, that's okay. That's just that's just Toronto. They, I, we, we've got the beautiful ambiance of the yeah. of the big city. I was, the face that I was making was was confusion because I'm just hearing now for the first time that Jeremy has CF. Oh, for fuck's <laughs> sakes! So so when people hear uh, that I have CF and 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 for the first time hear like that I take forty upwards of forty pills a day, there's always this like reaction of holy shit. Well, I mean, it's that, a shitload that's, of pills. That's <laughs> like that's that's so that's crazy to me. And and to me, I'm like, well, yeah, I guess so. But really, it's no different than me just brushing my teeth. Like it's yeah. it's all I take I've zero, ever. For it's it's all I've ever known. But if you had to brush your <laughs> teeth forty times, like let's, it's just the numbers crazy. If you had to brush your teeth forty times, that would be a lot. Well, that would be problematic because <laughs> you wouldn't be able to be a lot. You, you, I can take my pills while I'm walking down the street. I, it's I can't be brushing my teeth and simultaneously. I mean. I guess I could, but it's, you, you know, totally, it's, it's a whole, it's a totally different thing. So um, I, but I, I, I get what you're saying in that, in that, especially with, especially with, especially with this, with this quarantine in, in that you are, you, you aren't out amongst a bunch of other people where, where, um, you know, like I, I, I can't really relate to this because CF is, it very, is very much of, for the most part, a very invisible illness. Or something like spina bifida, maybe not so much because you are someone who um, uses a, a mobility device, right? I know that I know that through watching the documentary, you you have a cane, yeah. um, and so so you know it, that's it's an interesting th- thing to hear your thoughts about about spending so much time isolated and and kind of like oh yeah. Yeah, this is this is my life. Yeah. Like, they might of, think you're a pimp, though. So mm. then that's like, uh, <laughs> right. you know, there's pros and cons. But um, I did I did want to come back to the Jesus. the uh, catheters really quick, Mari. Um, do you do you have to pay for your catheters? Yeah, yeah, I do. Fuck, that sucks, eh? My my mom had bladder cancer, and uh, I've I've also said this probably almost now as much as Jared says that he has uh, CF on the podcast, but my mom. Uh, had bladder cancer and she now needs to self catheterize uh, every day. And I was really surprised when she had to pay out of pocket for mm. for catheters when it when it's a a necessity. She she yeah. she absolutely needs that that to go to the bathroom. Like there's there's no alternative yet. Yeah, and we say that in Canada we have free health care. Yet something that you need like that you have to pay out of pocket for and and for her it's an expensive like over $300 a month um and you have to you have to do the same thing yeah yeah it's um i know in ontario <clears throat> excuse me when i was uh when i was born and when i was like a child there used to be uh catheters used to be included under the uh assisted devices program uh that you know, you could apply for and they would, if you like fit all the requirements and had like a doctor's note and all of that, um, they would cover the, the cost of it up to a certain amount. Um, but in recent years, they actually took catheters out of that program. Um, and like, I, I don't really know why, but there's, there's been no other support put in place uh, oh, wow. to like replace that since then. Wow. So yeah, if you're not on insurance through your work, it's all out of pocket. How fucking tough was that for you? Like I, I can't imagine if all of a sudden they go, Oh yeah, we're, we're going to remove, you know, 
Ventolin nebules from CF patients. So, Jeremy, you're going to have to pay for your nebules that you take every single day to open up the airways in your lungs. Like that, that would be, that would be such a devastating shock to me. Was that, how did you feel when, when that decision was made? Um, it was still my parents who were like covering everything at the time and right. they were under insurance. So it didn't really affect me all that much. It was once I left school and I was no longer covered under school insurance or my parents' insurance mm-hmm. um, that it really became an issue. And I remember calling Easter Seals and a bunch of other programs and being like, what are my options? And they're basically like, you either okay. have insurance or mm. you pay. Mm. Um, so it, it was like a really unfortunate thing, but I also consider that like there, there are a lot of prescription drugs that still aren't covered, um, under, you know, like, uh, at least in Ontario, like under OHIP and things like that. Um, so they're like, it's not like a unique experience to me and like Mm. to people who self catheterize. It's like also, you know, there are people with like mental health medications who have to pay, you know, mm-hmm. hundreds of dollars a month um, to get access to those. And, and so like, yeah, there's definitely still a problem within Canada. Like it just because we have access to like basic health care doesn't mean like it's yeah. great. <clears throat> yeah, that was something that we were talking about last night was uh, in our live show. Um, just for reference of when we're recording this, we we were talking about. Um, we were talking about that, how, how the, the overall view of Canadian healthcare is like, Hey, Canada's got, you know, great. We got it figured out. We got it. Yeah, exactly. But then, and in some ways, yes, but in also some ways, in a lot of ways, no. Um, and that would be one of them. Um, Mari, you said a couple of things there that, um, you mentioned, you mentioned two things, like a few minutes back, you mentioned, um, like disclosing, um, disclosing, uh, that you have spina bifida to people around you, people in your life. Um, and then you also mentioned insurance through work and which kind of, I was really one of the, one of the points in the, the episode of employable me, which really stuck out to me was, um, for both, for both, uh, you and Mark and Mark was the, what was the other subject of the, of the episode, um, was the conversation around, disclosing <laughs> mm. your disability w- with an employer. And, um, and that really, it really struck me. It really struck me because I, I mean, I could be jaded in the way that we do this podcast. So it seems like a no fucking brainer that, that, that shouldn't be like an issue as long as you can, you know, as long as, as long as you fit the bill for, for the, for the, the, the role, the, the role that's mm. that's that's needed. Then why does it matter? And that that would be that's my initial thought process. But then removing myself and realizing that there is like prejudice in the world and that everyone doesn't think like I do. Um, that really that really struck me. And I and I also really thought it was uh, an amazing part of the show when it was framed as like let's stop looking at. I stopped looking at this from uh, like how a disability takes away from what you can do, but how mm. the things that really add to it um, and, and framing it from that really positive perspective. And I thought that that was, I thought that that was amazing. Um, I guess the question through all of this is 
what was that what was that whole experience what was that whole experience like going through that i mean you know we had a documentary uh, crew follow us around for a while um what was your experience with with the creation of that episode it was um really interesting for sure um <clears throat> like uh they did their best to like space out like the the filming uh of the thing over like several days um spaced out over like several weeks mm-hmm. um so it was like a a couple days a week for like four to six weeks i can't remember exactly how long now um so in terms of like time um they were very like accommodating um and uh it i really enjoyed it because um as uh as you might know like i'm very interested in media uh you know that was sort of like one of my main areas that i wanted to get into uh mm-hmm. and have been getting into since the episode was made uh so it actually gave me a lot of insight into like documentary making and what you know exactly unscripted means mm-hmm. in terms of like tv show making and things like that and uh, it was actually like really helpful when I was like applying to CBC uh, for their CAPE program, which is a, a placement program specifically for like disabled people. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. um, and uh, it was you know it was something that I actually like used in my interview. Like I was like, oh, I know all about filming unscripted things now like right, i was there sure. i saw it yeah. i was talking to the camera guys and asking them a million questions mm. like I, you know you're I, like I, I know i know how unscripted is not so unscripted <laughs> well, well, when they tell you all right that was good uh, we're gonna bring it back and just walk into the uh in job interview as if you were uh, doing it for the first time even though it's the third so here we go and well, actually the, the thing that i was um curious about in watching that is is that you, so you mentioned that you had been to like or like applied for like 500 uh jobs at the point when they were like filming you and uh and i imagine that 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 the camera crew didn't come with you to all 500 applications. So I was wondering, I was curious what the experience was like for you going to job interviews before and, and, you know, dropping a resume off or asking if there's an, a position available um, in contrast to actually having a camera crew with you. Like, did you find that because you had a camera crew with you, people were more likely to be that, like that the jobs oh, were like, well, yeah. we, we have to, like, we have to hire them. They, they, they came in with a goddamn camera crew. If we don't hire them, <laughs> but they're, the, the public's going to turn around and, and call us the enemy. Well, well actually like it was there. Did you find that there was any like implicit bias where, where, you know, people would just naturally be a little bit nicer because they mm. feel like they're being filmed. Uh, yeah, what's actually really interesting about it, because you have to get, like, releases and things like that, is they would actually go in ahead of time and be like, hey, we're filming this thing, (laughs) we're gonna have this person drop off a resume, um, and what's actually really interesting is because most places don't (laughs) actually take physical resumes, like, they'll always be like, just apply online, um, (laughs) we have a website, uh, here's an email, like, uh, most places, like, that was actually the the first time in a long time I'd actually like physically hit the pavement and been like, here's my resume. You know, usually there's a lot of like calling and emailing and, you know, just searching indeed and LinkedIn and all of those places. Uh, So 
usually it's actually like a visually boring process where yeah, I'm just absolutely. hunched over my computer, uh, just like in the middle of the night, yeah. like lights like, dim and let's like, let's do this 2002 yeah. style. Yeah. And instead of, <laughs> instead of like hovering the camera over your everybody's, shoulder as you every, hit submit, literally yeah. everybody's confused when you're coming in person. They're like, wait, what people still, why are you, he- why are you here? Yeah. We have off in person application. <laughs> so yeah. So then I would like, yeah, they would like prep them and it was almost scripted in a way where there was basically like, you know, like they're going to come in. They're going to say, like, are you looking for work? Uh, are you hiring? You know, I'm looking for work, something like that, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Did- and so they're basically like and like they know they're being filmed. They're signing yeah. something mm-hmm. and um I am getting like a lot of like very nice, polite responses. Although the places we went to were also very like, um, they picked places that were like really cool, chill places to begin with. So I, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like the people necessarily in the episode were, you know, faking (laughs) it or whatever. Um, but yeah, most of them actually were like, we're not actually hiring, but we'll take your resume. Um, and we'll keep it. In case, did, was that, did you, was it did an, you, go ahead, Tay. Was it an experience of, was it an experience working with AMI? Because I'm, I mean, I'm sure if anybody knows, if anybody knows some of the more, uh, like friendly environments for like hiring practices it, for, for people who have disabilities, I'm assuming it's AMI. I mean, was there, was there, was there anything that you gleaned from them? Like, was there anything like, Hey, the, you know, these places in Toronto are places that are that are like really doing great work with with you know not being not having prejudice with having really great hiring <laughs> practice with having like a lot of a lot of diversity in, in in the people that they that they have on their teams was there anything that you gleaned from that um they actually connected me to uh the the organization that puts on the real abilities film festival here in Toronto mm. um which is like a disabled centered film festival that happens annually mm-hmm. um where you know it's all content uh made by and about disabled people um and so uh <laughs> i don't think it's actually in i think it it got cut from the episode but they actually had me they connected me to them cuz uh they were just actually uh having like opening night while we were Filming and so I actually volunteered with them for that night. Mm-hmm. Um, and by volunteered, I mean like unscripted volunteered, uh, yeah, right, right. where most of the time was me waiting for like the camera crew to catch me doing stuff um, <laughs> instead of actually doing stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but I got to know a lot of people there. I uh, made a lot of connections um, through them. And, you know, like they actually since then they had me on for a uh, they had me organize like a podcasting panel um, about disability uh, a little later that year. And uh, like in the in the fall around like September, October ish time. Um, And then, yeah, like it was it was just like a, a really great experience that way because they did put me in touch with organizations that were interested in the work I was already doing. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. I mean, AMI, we, we, we became familiar with AMI pretty early on. We did some, 
Um, we yeah, did for, some, some work with them. For uh, people who don't know, because I'm sure there's some people who, who are listening who aren't aware, AMI is uh, Accessible Media Inc. And it's a, it's a Canadian-run, um, like, like, broadcaster uh, mm-hmm. who produce, that, that produces, like, um, uh, television, internet, uh, radio, um, and it's it's very centered on on accessibility and and sh- like focusing on stories of people living with disabilities and and I actually really I actually something that I picked up while watching the episode um, because I had it on my computer, which I live in like a I live in like a one room a one I live in a bachelor a bachelor condo so um, I I was I had it on my computer and I had my headphones in. And I was kind of also at the same time kind of like walking around the apartment, kind of do, doing a few things while it was on my computer. And if I would go into the next room and I had my headphones on so I, also, so I could hear it really well, I, I picked up on how, <laughs> how it was, how when I couldn't see it, it was just like listening to a podcast. Like it was, mm. it was like it was put together in a way that if you couldn't see it, I mean, obviously from, from AMI standpoint, then like it really didn't, matter i mean obviously there's a visual component to it it's a it's a tv show but but that it, but even even it down to the credits like I, I you get to the end credits and there's there's a person that that just lists off all the yeah. credits as you're watching it and and you go oh right i guess yeah, if i didn't have eyes yeah i wouldn't like, i wouldn't know who's being getting the credit here for what yeah, i just listened incredibly to fast just like and just actually really, actually you know it's funny really they weren't they were speaking at like a very regular pace that yeah. that i that i could hear and understand yeah so just, i guess just yeah, really it's usually it's just it the that. like main credits that they'll read out. sure right right yeah because yeah, because everybody else in the background doesn't matter so it's all the, it's, it's just <laughs> just the ones that matter you know sick boy podcast we'll be right back after this very short break are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. Speaking of the doc, there was one part that that I found very fascinating, which was, you know, so we're, we're talking about the, your 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 life with spina bifida, but on top of that, you also you also deal with ADHD, and you you said this really interesting thing in the doc um, about how your spina bifida is 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 a disability that that sort of forces you to to slow things down because, because energy wise, like you just don't have, you don't have as much energy as, as you know, anybody else just walking down the street. But then on top, but then on top of that, your ADHD, there's this part of you that's also like wanting to race around and, and, and like, go, 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 go. Um, can you talk about a little bit about the, the, the duality there and like, and how much of a struggle having both of those, those disabilities have like, has, have sort of clashed? Yeah. I mean, like, um, when I was younger, I didn't know about my ADHD. I got diagnosed in my twenties actually. Um, so, but as I mentioned before, when I was younger, my disability didn't affect me too much, especially because I was very much a very like sedentary person. I made it very much a part of my personality to be the person who would rather 
read at recess rather than like run around with mm. everybody. Um, but I did struggle with not knowing why I struggled with certain things. Uh, other like classmates and friends and stuff didn't like just staying organized, keeping track of time, mm. um, just keeping my room clean. Like I was always a disaster zone and it was always like the joke of my friend group. Like, you know, I need like a week's worth of warning if you want to come like over to my house and hang out in my room because it's mm. going to take me that long just to clean it mm -hmm. enough for you to like sit down on my bed and not be disgusted. Mm -hmm. Like, um, it's like Brian's so, car. <laughs> yeah, that is just like the back seat of Brian's car. Yes, yeah. it's because I have ADHD. Uh, nope, you nope, you don't get away with that one, my friend. I, nope, I think it's true. Okay, anyway. Um, well, that that's my life still. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> I uh, and so yeah, like it's it's been like a really interesting thing to balance. And now that I do have the diagnosis, it's been a little bit easier because now I have been able to like research uh sort of coping mechanisms and tools that are better suited to me um and through employable me they actually uh like connected me with this ADHD coach who actually mm. uh like sat down and talked with me um I don't remember how much of it was in the episode or if it actually got in I know like a whole bunch of stuff got cut mm -hmm. um but yeah they're uh I spoke with this ADHD coach and he actually was telling me like, you know, you have to find things that give you that sense of accomplishment that you can't get physically. So if it's, you know, doing a crossword puzzle mm. instead of going for a walk or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, Interesting. But also including things like walks into my life and to not try and let my like chronic pain and as well, cause I also deal with like depression and anxiety to not let those things, um, keep me cooped up because that also affects how I process things and how mm. I handle things. So I do have to find like little ways to introduce exercise into my life that also, you know, work with my, my physical abilities. Mm. Has that, has it been a challenge to, to find those avenues, you know, to like to incorporate that into your life? For sure. Especially during quarantine. Mm. Um, normally my, my go-to thing, especially <laughs> as someone who works from home a lot, um, I would do like a morning coffee run uh, where I would hit the Starbucks first thing. And that would be my like little bit of exercise for the day. Uh, and of course, because I live in Toronto, I live literally uh, like a minute away yeah, from the closest yeah, Starbucks. Yeah, so right. like it's literally the stairs that are the longest part of my journey. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, but, I'm so glad that I don't live close that close to a Starbucks because I would just drink that shit. Yeah, all the time. you would, you would, um, you just <laughs> kind of brought something up. There's something that we've talked about, talked about a few times over the, uh, over the course of, of doing the podcast, um, accessibility and in particular accessibility in Toronto, um, in a mm -hmm. city with uh, super old buildings and very little requirement to update um, around accessibility, what is that? Uh, what is that experience? What has that experience been like for you? What are some of the things that? What are some of the things that you see and you go, "Oh, that's awesome," and some of the things that you see and go, "Not oh, so awesome." That sucks. Yeah. Uh, there's 
Toronto's really interesting because there are like really old buildings like mine um like mine is from like the 1920s like it's almost 100 years old uh they so were yeah, really no. thinking about disability back <laughs> yeah, in yeah yeah they were they were really <laughs> front of mind guys, front of guys mind for i don't sure. i don't think i need to remind you about the episode we did with canadian politics is boring about oh, yes uh, yes about yeah. uh exactly what tommy douglas that, was talking about at that yep. time when that yeah. building would have been yeah, right. built yeah, like certainly yeah. yeah yeah they definitely weren't thinking about it no for sure. And then, but then there's also these new buildings that are going up um, that are much more accessible. They have, you know, like in unit washer dryers, they have elevators, you know. Um, I mean, some buildings are weird in that even though that they have, they were like built after the AODA, uh, which is in Ontario, that's. Uh, our accessibility bill mm-hmm. um even the some buildings after those will still like design their buildings to have steps up to them and mm-hmm. then they'll just add in like a chairlift and they'll be like it's cool like mm-hmm. it's accessible now uh for one person who can use a chairlift uh and if you like are are like a cane user or you know you're someone who struggles with getting in and out of a chairlift or you know anything like that um so there's there's a lot of different things um and then on top of that those new buildings are all extremely expensive uh and just unaffordable um like for like living wise you know like rents and and i mean well fuck i guess in Toronto everything that you want to buy is yeah (laughs) through the roof but renting Renting those, like those buildings, rental prices are are for a lot of people out of reach. Astronomical, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, right now I've been living in my building f- since 2015, I think. So the last five and a half years, and so when I first moved in, uh, my rent was considered really high in comparison to what my friends were paying. Um, you know, in you know for their rooms downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I was paying over over a thousand for a one bedroom, and everyone was like, "How how could you spend that much money a month for a one bedroom?" Now I have the cheapest rent <laughs> out of <laughs> anyone with a one bedroom because I got in right and five and a half and years ago. Type of, uh, there's like some type of control, like you know, yeah. There's just, rent control. They can't yeah. just like skyrocket your rent. Um, um, what's something that someone brought up? I can't remember who it was or when it was. But this really simple notion around accessibility and how, how, how it was like, I think it might have been around ramps, and it was like, it was like everybody can go up a ramp, right? Like, but not everybody can go upstairs. So why do we like? Why do we continue to build things? Why do we continue to build things that? Why are we still we, fucking with stairs that we know? And I know, and I know that that in that argument there was something around like, around like. You know, I guess the 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 like hidden efficiency of stairs and how it u- how stairs utilize space, um, whereas like a ramp would need to be like twice as long as a as a set of stairs. So and you know there's a whole well, bunch yeah. of yeah and in there, and but... people like uh, you know the president of the United States struggled with ramps as well. Oh my so. god, dude, that was <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Um, uh, but but just the other great thing concept. about ramps too, though, is that like is have you ever seen a kid where 
they have the option to go up the stairs or up the ramp or down the stairs ramp. or down the ramp? Every time. Every time, ramp. Every ramps time are fun. Ramp. Ramps are way more fun. I think it's because... Uh, and I still do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah same, man. I'm a 32-year-old <laughs> grown man. But you know like, what the, uh, you know what the, the sad ramp. thing is? You know why they like those ramps? Why? Because they're so few and far between. That's, well, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. That's right. Very, yeah, yeah. I guess if there were ramps everywhere, experience. if they were everywhere, they wouldn't be so fun. This is this is probably true. Which, right? which is sad. That's a sad reality. <laughs> yeah. of but it. just highlighting, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a ramp. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't have the I don't have the solution in mind. But it just it is a really it was a really eye opening it was a really eye opening perspective. Mm. Like why when when we can fairly reasonably in most places, I think build something that is accessible and usable by everybody. Why do we do, why do we not do that? Why is that not the requirement? Mm. And we still, we still do things that are, that, that exclude people. I mean, especially in, I mean, I I think it's fair to say that the last five years of the world have been the biggest push in history to stop excluding people on, any level you could possibly think of like there's a, mm. that's a massive push and it's a massive social sort of revolution that's been happening over the past several years and accessibility is obviously included in that mm-hmm. um and i wonder yeah i wonder what will change over the years i i mean i wonder i wonder where that will go especially in a city like toronto where everything's fucking old and yeah. like and the and 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 realizing that that because everything's old and it was built way back when no one was thinking about that. That there's a cost to that, and you know that. I mean, then you get in the then you get into the realm of governments and funding, and um, into a bunch of shit that I don't understand. Thoughts, guys? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, uh, is there a question there? Uh, uh, speaking of questions, we do have a question that has come in from one of our patrons, um, uh, specifically for you, uh, Mari. Uh, it comes in from Heather and actually, I don't know. I didn't even know that this was a thing and, and I don't know how much of this you can, t- you can speak to, but we'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Heather from, uh, from our Patreon has asked us, um, what are your thoughts on in utero surgery for spina bifida? Oh my God. Wow. That's a, that's a heavy, that's a heavy <laughs> ass question, Heather. I'm just going to assume that that's possible right off the bat. <laughs> I, I, I mean, uh, I know it was on some Grey's Anatomy episodes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brian I have, loves that. I have seen um, some headlines about it. I haven't looked too much into the research myself because it's just not relevant to me. Um, right. I'm currently out of utero. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. There's <laughs> not much I can do with it. Uh, but it's something that I have thought about, um, about whether or not it's something... Uh, that would have benefited me had it been around when I was born. Mm. Um, and the thing is, is that I'm not too sure. Uh, even now, uh, you know, my neurosurgeon is saying things like since I was born, um, things have, you know, research has changed so much that they're not sure that, you know, the the surgery I went through when I was younger was completely necessary. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so that uh, for some for some babies it helps. For some it doesn't really do anything, and they just go through surgery for not much benefit. Mm. Um, and for some it can actually worsen the condition. You know, if complications happen. You know, surgery is still surgery. Mm. Um, 
And so sometimes, like now they're actually uh, doing longer waits, uh, at least the last time I had this discussion with my my surgeon, uh, which was years ago. Uh, but, you know, they're doing longer, you know, they're not jumping to surgery as quickly in all cases. For uh, for younger children, you mean? like Yeah, for babies. For babies. For okay, infants. yeah, sure, sure, sure. So and is the, the idea, like is the like, idea is the idea there to to kind of well let's give it some space so we can sort of see how things play out and then we'll have more we'll have more of a a gauge on whether or not we should push forward and 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 actually go through with the procedure as opposed to just assuming that this might be the best option. Yeah, because sometimes you know the the costs do outweigh the gains. Um, right. You know, there are certain things like um, I I did have like a tethered spinal cord. So my my spinal cord, uh, it's supposed to be like like the end is supposed to be a little bit like loose, especially when you're growing, mm. um, because if it's if it's attached anywhere, uh, those nerves start to get pulled uh, as as your spine grows and you get taller and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It might have been necessary in my case anyways, because, you know, the way I grew, I did have a tethered cord. Um, But there is like the thought that um, it may not have been as necessary. It may not have actually changed that much. But now we don't know uh, what affects the surgery, like what I'm experiencing is because of the surgery and what's because of the spina bifida. Because it happens Mm. so fast. Yeah. Um, just this is the first time that question. That was the first time I had ever heard of in utero surgery, and I just gave it a quick, a little Goog search, and uh, there are there are a few different types. Um, with the like the less invasive ones being um, endoscopic, where they where they they like the baby stays in the mm-hmm. uterus and they make little incisions like you similar to whatever laparoscopy uh, surgery that you had Jared, or mm-hmm. in that same realm. But there is a form video game where surgery. They actually, is really, I like video to call game it surgery. That's right. Yeah. Where they actually open up the abdomen wall. Nope. Open up the uterus. Nah. Take the fetus out. All good. Perform surgery and then put the fetus back. Whoa. That's called the alien method. No, that is no so goddamn mind blowing. That's crazy that they. Can that's do making that. my pee pee hole hurt a little bit. That's, <laughs> oh, oh. I can't believe that that's a thing. Oh, my oh God, man, dude, science that's a lot. man, that they can do that. I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't do a deep dive on this Wikipedia page, so I'm not really sure how. Uh, I'm not really sure how how successful or what, what the success rates are. But I yeah, mean, oh okay. my lord. Okay. Oh yeah, you're done with that, Jer. You I am it. so <laughs> done with that conversation, dude. Pregnancy, uh, you and uh, pregnancy are. It's, it's a lot. I really am not cool with it. It's, That's gonna get you into hot water someday. It probably. Well, uh, thank you for that question, there, Heather. Uh, really means a lot. Um, uh, we're we're coming up to time. There's there's two things that I kind of want to touch on, and and the, this first thing there there might not be anything to it, um, but there's you know so so especially in the last few weeks we have. We have been um, Brian Taylor and myself have been learning quite a bit about the the struggles in which people of color are, have have faced through healthcare in it, from the spectrum of healthcare 
um, especially during this time of like of the black rights, uh, the, the uh, Black Lives Matter movement and like the civil rights movement that we're currently in. Um, I know that you are people can't see this, but you are a person of color. Um, and you also you also in the documentary, you you talked about the like intersectionality of being someone who is gender fluid, someone who is a person of color and somebody who has a disability. And I was just wondering if there's if if you can speak to like the importance of of highlighting intersectionality as as something that someone goes through like yourself um and what that means and and have you like have you noticed or have you faced any hardships in terms of of receiving healthcare or or feeling like you feeling like you receive adequate healthcare being a, a person of color or or being gender fluid for that matter so that's that's a big question um and i actually uh, could probably do uh, a whole hour on on this alone <laughs> yeah, yeah. um i actually uh i i run workshops with a a friend of mine on ableism uh, and things like that and we actually spend like a, a good chunk of it on intersectionality specifically and um how that plays out um in terms of like my my personal experiences um i'm i'm not black i'm not indigenous so like my experiences aren't on the 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 same level as some other folks Mm. uh but i would say that it was a factor in how i um and why i wasn't diagnosed with adhd until my 20s um despite the fact that there is a a major comorbidity with spina bifida and learning disabilities uh there was Mm. i often felt like there wasn't this um, the same kind of need to look into things and, and to like push past things unless like my parents fought for it. Mm. Um, so, so, so because I, I did relatively well in school, um, you know, ADHD helped me in, in some ways to like maintain really good grades, despite the fact that I had really poor study habits. Um, you know, I was really good at like cramming for uh, tests at the last minute um Mm. despite you know like never touching the homework Mm. um it it, my backpack just being a mess of assignments that were never handed in um that kind of thing um but because like I didn't um because it wasn't like a severe concern uh, that my parents had to push for. It wasn't until like I got to university and I realized that all of those habits I got into uh, were actually very detrimental to my education. Mm. Um, and were actually just like coping mechanisms and were a lot of just um, like survival tools of just how to kind of burn through things as, as quickly as possible just to, you know, accomplish them. Mm. Um, but because they're uh, like I was able to do it, doctors didn't really look much further. Um, I had this experience where I actually went through my medical files uh, from when I was a child, and I actually found like my socio uh, the, the psychoeducational assessment that they did when I was like ten years old, and like they note stuff like I struggle with uh, like uh, understanding noises in like competing sounds, uh, like settings with competing sounds and that I struggle mm. with certain things. Mm. Uh, but because like my reading was good and my language was good, 
whatever. There, yeah. It was kind All of good. just like, uh, check in mm-hmm. later and like, we'll see if it's an issue. <laughs> but um, since I was 10, there was no other actual assessment. It wasn't until I was in university and I was trying to access assessments through my resources, uh, through academic resources and their accessibility services. Um, and it just became this, this huge thing. Um, I also had an experience where I had, uh, I was trying to access a psychiatrist. So to have someone monitor my ADHD meds and the social worker who was handling, uh, my intake actually like, uh, like messed up my scheduling a bunch of times and told me my appointment time was later than it actually was. So I was coming in late and Ooh. then she would accuse me of of being late despite the fact that I was actually something I was really struggling with because of the ADHD um and then when I would be like well the the note you gave me says 12:30 not 12 you know her demeanor would change uh and it was this very like noticeable thing and that was Ooh. that was sort of like the first time that it it was really like clear to me Mm -hmm. um that i was receiving just like different kind of care um but it almost seems like it almost seems like the like the approach and the attitude from the onset is off with that too like it's like even even mentioning like the almost like the accusatory tone of like hey you're you're late like this is your fault like who the fuck talks to somebody like that when they know that they're a patient especially like dealing mm. with challenges mm. that can like almost like obviously affect that. Right. Yeah. Like, mm. like yeah. why, mm. why, who does that? <laughs> yeah. And there was also issues with actually, um, receiving like, like, uh, getting prescriptions for my medications. Um, the, the way I had, uh, my ADHD diagnosed, I didn't go through the official diagnosis process because it's, it costs thousands of dollars um to do and it's just like really expensive and if you don't if you come out of it with the assessment saying like "Mm, we're not really sure then you have like that's that's money that's just gone you can't get that reimbursed in any way Mm. um versus if if there if 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 there is if there is something there then they would go oh well then this is all this then this is there's a coverage for this uh, through school, like uh, when I was doing it through like accessibility services, they were like, yeah, like if it comes back, like, yeah, you, you have ADHD, then we'll cover the thing. Um, hmm. but you know, it's better to get like a sort of informal assessment first, um, right. from, okay. from a psychiatrist to see if it's worth, right. you know, the risk of, <clears throat> of paying for this bigger thing. And so I was actually seeing the psychiatrist was part of a bigger process of getting accessibility resources for school and things like that. Um, and I had, uh, so I, I had originally, my doctor had, my uh, general physician had originally referred me to uh, a psychiatrist at CAMH, which is a, a like a mental health hospital mm-hmm. here in Toronto. And, uh, he sat down with me for like an hour. Uh, we talked about the things I was struggling with, why I thought I had ADHD. Because uh, at this point, I had self-diagnosed myself uh, because of a friend who also got diagnosed with ADHD and was like, hey, you and I always talk about these same struggles. Like, maybe you should look into mm-hmm. it. And I was like, I okay. Self, I self-diagnosed Jer with sleep apnea. 
Uh, <laughs> you did, and you oh, were right. right. So, yeah. That, yep. So it works like that sometimes. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, and so. I, I'm curious about that experience of self-diagnosing with uh, ADHD and then going to speak to the psychiatrist about it because I, I went through the same experience and uh, went to speak to my GP about it and I, I did a test first and and um, the written test came out with, oh yeah, you probably are on the spectrum of having ADHD. And then when I went to my GP, I was like, hey, look, like I, I found this out. Um, what should I do about this? And he was like, well, you know, I could refer you to this person but they're just going to give you medication and do you really want to be on medication for this for the rest of your life and like i was like well i don't know do i need to be like yeah right like, i i don't know and he's like that's well, why i'm here it? that's why i'm talking to is you yeah, yeah. and then his his kind of question back to me was like well is it causing disorder in your life and i was mm. like well i don't know like i don't know how it's manifesting i know that because i really identify with the experience that you're talking about in, in going to um like junior high and high school and 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 excelling even though you're kind of doing things last minute and, and procrastinating just kind of like forgetting to hand in assignments but still like you know passing tests and and doing well enough but then getting to university and having that all kind of come to a head and all of a sudden you're not getting the marks that you used to get and and it's challenging because you don't have the um ability to to manage all of these things that have been causing you problems but you've been getting by with up until that point so um, what was your experience like when you went to them and said, Hey, I think I, you know, I, I, I probably have ADHD. I've self-diagnosed myself. What did they say? So I'm actually really fortunate, um, to have my GP. Um, and I, I don't know if it's because he's also South Asian, um, he, or he's a younger doctor or wh- what the difference <laughs> is. Um, but in terms of any other doctors, he has always had my back. Um, and so when I went to him, uh, for the ADHD stuff, I was going to him, uh, with like whole lists of things at the time, uh, because, uh, this is actually my GP that I've had since I was a child and I lived in the suburbs outside of Toronto. Um, and so he's actually still out in the suburbs. Mm. So it's actually like, uh, like a whole day kind of a situation if I want to go to my doctor. Mm. So when I come, I'm always like, I have a list. <laughs> um, don't, don't mind me. I might be a while, but he always, uh, he has always been like really kind and considerate mm. in terms of listening through my entire list. Um, and then taking me at my word. Uh, if I, when I, first came to him with the ADHD stuff. He was like, you know, I think that is something you should look into. Like, uh, let's figure out what we, what the next steps are. Like, what do you want to do next? And I was like, well, I think I need to get some kind of assessment. And he was like, okay, let's figure that out. Um, and so he actually connected me with the, a doctor from KMH who did a sort of general assessment, um, and was like, yeah, uh, everything that you're saying lines up with ADHD. I would recommend going on medication because, you know, you're saying you're really, really struggling. And so he gave me a prescription and I went back to my doctor and he was like, that's cool. But, you know, um, I would prefer if you had someone long term to monitor this medication who specializes in this kind of thing. Mm. You know, I don't feel comfortable making those kinds of adjustments, not being a specialist in this field, you know. And that's also something I really appreciate about my doctor. Yeah. Was that he was very open about the fact that he doesn't know 
everything. Yeah. You know, he deals with colds and flus and general common. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. GP. So that's how I got uh, involved with the, the social worker and trying to get uh, involved with this uh, psychiatrist um, who, after all, I, it took like three appointments to get to the actual psychiatrist. Um, in in those appointments, I talked about this assessment. I knew that the notes were in my file because my doctor referred to them uh, when I went to see him. Um, but she was adamant that there was no record of me seeing this doctor um, and getting recommended this medication. And then at that point, um, I I signed. I think I signed a form twice, uh, giving her permission to reach out to CAMH and request those files. Mm. And by the time I saw the psychiatrist, she, 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 she acted as though this was the first time she was hearing it again. Um, and I was just like, okay, the second time I might've believed that it just slipped your mind. Cause you're like a, a busy person with a lot of patients, yeah. but like, mm. Having to tell you a third time is, is sort of like a huge red flag to me. Yeah. Um, and because of that, um, and because of the fact that um, my the social worker also didn't make notes of the fact that I had tried antidepressants prior to this, um, the psychiatrist was just sort of... Uh, I was in there not even for like 15 minutes when the psychiatrist was just like, I don't think medication is right for you. Like you should be on any, you should be trying antidepressants first. Um, and so, you know, I think any, any help that you're getting from these medications is it's akin to, you know, the kind of benefits people who use recreationally use, uh, get from it. And I was kind of just like really taken aback. Cause Ooh. I was like, I've, been on antidepressants they didn't work they didn't do anything for me whereas this was a significant improvement even on a very low low dosage um and so i'm actually currently unmedicated because it was such a frustration mm. to get on to medication to get access to that um mm. and that is something that i have to assume has to do with either you know my gender or uh my race because i know those those were things that my the, the doctors were aware of. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And it's definitely not the experience I've had. Uh, my, like my white friends have had getting access to medication. Like every single one of my, my white friends with ADHD has always been like, yeah, I just like went to my doctor and it was, you know, they were just like, oh, okay. Bing, bam, boom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, for me, I, mm. I could have, like, I could have very easily gotten it. it. I just would have had to tell my, my GP that I wanted that referral, but I, I was at least fortunate enough to have him kind of be that filter for me that was like, well, do you, do you think that you need this? And, and, and I kind of then started to ask myself those questions where, you know, I ultimately made the end choice that I didn't think that I needed at the time, but like if I wanted it, it would have been yeah. very easy for me to to get it. Yeah, and I want to. I, I one thing that kind of popped up for me there when we were talking about fa- your family doctor and your your GP and just I was how, really stoked there for a minute. I was like, I know, oh right? yeah, this is wow, this is really so well. this is a great like this is a great story. And then and then it took yeah. a turn, and I was like, oh man. But, <laughs> but to highlight the to highlight the positive mm. of uh, because I have. I mean, I'm sure I don't, I know that I've had the experience. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm assuming you guys have had the experience as well of going into a walk-in clinic and being like, 
this no this person could not give less of a fuck about what is going on with oh, yeah. my life on any level. Yep. Yeah. Um and I and then I recently had a family have gotten a family doctor and and he's incredible and I have a very very similar experience where it's like I don't know what it is about you but like can we go get dinner after this like we're <laughs> yeah, like, can, yeah, we be, right. like, can we be best friends? Um and and just how you know the, your family doctor and if anybody's out there thinking that I'm wrong or has any reason that that it shouldn't be this way I mean I see family doctors they're kind of like your mortgage broker like they're they're getting paid by somebody else but they're on, but they're working for you and it's their it's like it's for the, it's their responsibility to listen to you and to go okay cool like let's let's explore let's explore that obviously this means something to you and you know a family doctor who isn't just you know, bleep, 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 like numbers, mm. assessments, like check boxes, but actually goes, hey, and a robot. How do you feel? And and it wants to know how you feel about mm. how you feel about um, what you're thinking. You know, you come to, into ADHD because it's it's not it's not just a it's not just a like a yes or no. It's also like there's feelings and emotions and there's life circumstance and how that affects you on the things that you do in your day and the things that you want to accomplish and all these things and understanding that and then making decisions based on, you know, a whole host of different things rather than, mm. rather than, um, mm. you know, rather than checking a couple of boxes and just, but I guess, you know, that ends up being a shitty situation in the end, it sounds like, yeah. but, but, you know, it is a, it, I, I hear the huge <laughs> positive in there knowing that, you know, that first point of contact in the medical system, which is your GP, has your back and, mm. and is, like, willing to go to bat for you. Also, um, you know, unfortunately, um, it it's hard not to note the fact that you mentioned that your doctor was of South Asian descent as well and not a mm. Caucasian male, like a lot of mm-hmm. GPs are. So, like, it's unfortunate that that plays a role probably in how the doctor relates to you as a patient, even, you know, with unconscious or implicit bias. Mm. And so I I just think it's so important to emphasize the fact that like, we need to be better at not being racist, Mm. not being a racist society. You know, frankly. Yeah. 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 There's, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. (laughs) Yep. Like that's a, that's a big, yep. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what else to say to that. But like, yeah, no, just like, no. well, I'm fuck, like with you. It's, it's yeah, like, like, yeah, like yeah, it sucks right about that, that we have to acknowledge the fact that yeah. you know you probably got good health care yeah. from your doctor because they could relate mm-hmm. to you in mm-hmm. in that way, right? And mm-hmm. fuck, it sucks that it has to be that way for now. You know, like mm-hmm. let's make a let's make a step in the right direction to change that. And I, I do. I also want to like note that like. Um, I, I am even privileged in this sense, uh, you know, being, you know, uh, like brown, uh, there's a lot more brown doctors than there are black or indigenous doctors mm-hmm. and the racism, uh, that black and indigenous people face in, in the medical system is, is really astounding. And mm-hmm. so I know, you know, even from non-black and non-indigenous people of color, they, they still experience racism from our communities as well. So it, it's, it's just something that I, I think about a lot, um, especially cause I do, you know, like I've, I've read a lot of case studies, even here in Canada, like there was, uh, that indigenous man, 
who was denied health care because the doctors, the nurses in the ER assumed he was drunk um, when he was uh, going into like insulin shock. Yeah, right. Uh, 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 Keto, what's what's that called? Ketoacidosis. Ketoacidosis. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so he ended up actually dying on a street outside, uh, like leaving the hospital mm-hmm. um, because he he didn't he wasn't even checked. Yep. He, he didn't receive any yeah. assessment because they saw an indigenous man and they just assumed, oh, slurred speech must be drunk. Yep. Um, despite the fact that he was saying he hadn't had alcohol or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, and so, you know, and like I I hear these stories all the time, you know, even from, you know, friends of mine and community members of mine. Um, and I know like trans folks, uh, who do go through like, uh, a hormonal and medical transition. Um, they also face barriers Mm -hmm. in, in receiving that care because a lot of times, you know, a lot of doctors will dismiss things as, Oh, well that's, that's probably because of your transition. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. there's actually like a, a, this this term a uh, term someone coined where it was like the the broken arm syndrome uh that trans people face where they could go into a doctor for a broken arm and they'll still find a way to make it about how it was because of their transition mm-hmm. um so you know like there's all of these things and you know i i am even though i face barriers as well like i'm also still fortunate enough that i do have uh you know like a brown family doctor who listens to me uh you know when i went to him uh to ask about medicinal marijuana he wasn't you know like oh you're just trying to use this recreationally he literally was just like that's a great idea he, that actually makes so much sense for your your health care he brought his head your up kidneys. from the bong he was like why <laughs> <laughs> well, i agree oh yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, it was it was actually like uh, painkillers are really hard on my kidneys, yeah. and because of my spina bifida mm-hmm. and like self catheterization and things like that, my kidneys are already predisposed to damage and infection. Yeah. Um. So he actually has been like really hesitant to put me on, you know, like opioids or anything like that for for chronic pain. Um. But when I came to him for for medicinal marijuana, he was literally like. That actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it's I think that it makes the most mm. is the most logical course of action, actually. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like he referred me to a clinic. He, you know, he didn't, you know, try and convince them that I didn't need it. It was a very simple conversation. Mm. And I know that's not something that a lot of people experience when they go to talk to their doctors about medicinal marijuana. Yeah. I, I, one, we are coming up to time here and there's, there's one question that we, we try to ask most of our guests and, uh, I would love to fit it in here, uh, which is, it's a two-parter. So the first one is, what would you say is the biggest thing that your spina bifida has taken away from you? Um, hmm. it's, it's hard to say cause like it is something that I was born with, so it's hard to say what was taken from me um, because I never had it to begin with, I guess. Mm. Um, but I guess uh, it just the, the ability to do things with just a little bit more ease, I think, is the major thing. Um, I find myself thinking to myself a lot like, I feel like I could handle all of 
the problems that I have been going through if I didn't have to deal with chronic pain on top mm. of it. If I didn't have to deal with fatigue. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have to deal with ableism. You know, like, it's just one more layer um, of of things to experience. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? That, uh, that's, that's something that I, I've also been thinking about a lot. Um, and I, I think it, it's just given me my, my perspective. Um, a lot of people find me very like grounding and very, uh, creative and very, you know, just thinking outside of the box a lot. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I am just very used to having to work around things and having to figure out things for myself or, or having to go back to a community like the disabled community and be like, how did you all figure this out? Mm. Um, because the, the one thing that I feel like I've, I've gained the most connecting to disabled community is just how much just ingenious there is like just ingenuity that exists in the disabled community. Everybody's got to learn how to make things work for themselves. Mm. Um, and so instead of always coming at things from how have people always done this thing, I've always come at things from a perspective of, well, what makes the most sense for this situation? Um, and I think if a lot more people did that, coming to you know interpersonal conflicts or work conflicts or any anything that comes up in their life um i also apologize if you can hear the construction that's happening again, on the again, street just, as well i just love i just love the sounds of toronto so don't even apologize <laughs> um i i'm on a major street <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is recorded yeah, life for yeah, me. It's great. It's great. Um, uh, well, thank you. Thank you. That, that's, um, this has been really, really wonderful to, to get to, I mean, really wonderful to get to see your journey through, through employable me and then, and then to, in turn to be able to actually get to speak to you in person. And for anyone who, who does want to watch, uh, the series, um, you can go to, uh, ami.ca and, and you can find it there. I highly suggest watching it. It's it's it, it really is. It's, it's an eye opening docu series, and and the you know the characters like you've just realized here listening to Mari, the characters are very lovable and very interesting. Um, I actually I, I am curious. Did you get a job? Did you end up finding a job? I did, and it it was actually not even uh, through uh, AMI. Oddly enough, it was um, I had just been, I spend a lot of my time online. Um, I know a lot of other disabled folks might relate to that, uh, just being constantly online. Um, but I ended up like, I applied to a job, uh, during that time. Uh, so like it, it was during one of the times that they weren't filming me, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, uh, just through Facebook and the person saw my Facebook page which is just filled with like memes about social justice uh anti-racism anti-oppression anti-ableism things like that Mm. um and immediately messaged me to be like i don't think this role is right for you but i actually have another role that i think you would be perfect for and i actually spent that summer uh working for a company uh working for an organization called join which was a nonprofit that works 
uh, that, that puts on uh, an annual conference uh, that, that connects like uh, disabled job seekers to employment opportunities. Um, and so it, it just ended up lining up <laughs> yeah. so well. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And then like, since then I, I've, I've also worked with CBC. Um, I'm currently freelancing, but I've, like it's just been opportunity after opportunity since that's wonderful to hear yeah well mari thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today to share uh parts of your life with us it really means a lot well thanks for having me and thank you all so much for listening we hope you enjoyed it uh as always we will be back next week with another wonderful conversation and in the meantime uh you can support the podcast in a couple of different ways you could first uh if you're using spotify Give us a little follow. Uh, That way you'll be kept up to date on every time we get a new episode. Uh, And if you're using Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and a review. Uh, That's really important because it just allows us to stay higher up on the charts. And in turn, more people can hear conversations like we just had here with Mari. And uh, you can also support the Patreon page that we got going on. Patreon.com slash sickboy. Head over to patreon.com and um, support us there. We just had a live, uh, as of recording this episode right now, last night we had an amazing live show. Um, all of our patrons for your patronage get free access to our uh, our digital live shows. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they are something to behold, a real visual experience, really turn your stomach. Maybe, to say uh, the least. It, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and lots of amazing uh, other other things uh, thrown in there as well. So if you would like to support us that way, you can go to patreon.com slash sickboy. And thanks as always to Donovan the Meerkat Morgan for the amazing sound design on the show. Uh, hey, Donovan. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with this, but on TikTok, one of the really popular things is that uh, uh, you, you use a, a sound to make your video too. Sometimes it's like a dance sound. Sometimes it's like a comedy sketch. It can be a number of different enjoyable and entertaining things. So Donovan, thanks for making a quick little uh, 15 second TikTok sound that's going to go in here and uh, and then send it over to me and I'll use it for my next talk. Uh, And again, if you want to see some really entertaining sick boy uh, social content, you can head to TikTok and follow at sick boy podcast. Here's the 15 second jingle now. Yep, and that's yeah, that's all, Brian. We didn't, uh, we don't approve of our TikTok. That is Brian's TikTok, and he's using our brand for his own TikTok. Okay, uh, that is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick. We don't approve of our TikTok, and he's using our brand, Brian's TikTok. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.